In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. A long time ago, when I was in high school, many, many, many years ago, I had a dream that I was going to go to the NBA. I was going to be a professional basketball player. And so I worked hard, you know, I did everything I could, I practiced, I trained every day. Uh, I played for uh, a very good school, and uh, we, we went to the championship almost every year. We had um, a distinguished coach. His name was Coach Smiley. I still remember him. He was a legendary coach. He took us to the championship every single year. He coached a lot of individual players that uh, went to play D1 or professionally overseas. And so he really made a, a big impact on, on our lives as players and as just individuals as we develop. Because you all know at that time, sports really forms your character and your discipline and your work ethic. So I remember after practice, um, one day we, we were sitting and uh, the coach at that time, Coach Smiley, was telling us his closing remarks. And uh, he was telling us about the experience when scouts would call him and ask him about players that he's coaching so that he can give them his recommendations so that these players can go and play for the bigger schools and continue progressing. So he said, when the scouts call me, the very first question that they ask me about the players that I'm coaching is not how many points they make a game. It's not how many rebounds they get or how many assists they get. The very first question that they ask me is how well does this player listen? Out of all the scouts that call him, every single scout that calls him asks him this very first question. How well does this player listen? How coachable is this player? And we know this is an important quality for all different aspects of our life. You know, being compliant and listening, abiding by the rules, following the system is significant across the board for everything we do. We think of our work. You know, you, you, you know that your manager expects you to abide by the system. Your manager expects you to be compliant. Your, your manager doesn't want you to work for him if you're just going to forget the system and just go rogue and do your own thing. Okay? If you think of a teacher, a professor, he wants to teach the students that have the discipline to follow the instructions of their teachings. You think of even in our family life, in our marriages, being obedient to one another, being compliant, following the direction of each other is critical for every part of our life. In this passage today, we see this concept of obedience and compliance, of truly listening to an instruction perfected. We see this concept perfected. In this passage, we see that Jesus gives Peter a command to go, cast your net, go into the deep and cast your net, for a catch, and Peter simply responds, okay. Now, at first, you might not think that's a big deal, but let's dig into this a little bit further and try to bring it to life. So for starters, Jesus is a carpenter. He's a carpenter. Peter and the disciples are fishermen. Their whole life, they're fishermen. They've known nothing but fishing. They basically live on a boat. They eat, sleep, they breathe on a boat all day long. All they know is fishing. 
It's like in their veins. Okay, so for a carpenter to instruct a fisherman about fishing, like, I don't know about you, but if a carpenter comes and tells me that, I'm just going to be like, dude, like, go make a chair or, like, build a table or something. You're a carpenter. That's what you know how to do. Don't tell me about fishing when I'm a fisherman. Not only that, but they worked all day long. And he comes to the end of the night and he says, Master, we have toiled all night. We've already washed our nets. Like, halas, we're counting our losses. Like, tomorrow we'll try again. Okay? It wasn't that day. The fish just aren't out today. We know how fishing goes. We have days like this every once in a while. It's, it's all good. We're going to try tomorrow. We've already washed our nets. It's not an easy task to clean up. If you've ever been fishing, cleaning up takes a while. It's work. They've already cleaned up. They're done. But he tells them, go into the deep and cast your nets for a catch. Peter responds, Master, we have toiled all night. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. This word, nevertheless, is the most critical word in this response. He's basically telling him, Master, I don't think this is a good idea. I don't agree with you. We have toiled all night. What you're saying doesn't make sense. But forget about that. Forget about my opinion. This doesn't make sense. Nevertheless, my preference doesn't matter. So he disregards his own preference and says, at your word, I will let down the net. It's not easy. It's not easy for us to do that because we know better. You know, for a fisherman, he knows better than a carpenter. So he says, I know better than to listen to you. It is so difficult for us to disregard our own opinion and say, okay, God, you want me to do this? I'll do it. It doesn't make sense, but I'll do it. When we're young, it's easy to see the difficulty in this. Think about whenever like, your parents tell you to eat your vegetables or when you're young and you're tired, you want to go to bed, your mom says, brush your teeth before you sleep. You said, I don't want to brush my teeth. No, you have to brush your teeth because if you don't, you're going to get a cavity. Well, I didn't brush my teeth yesterday and I didn't get a cavity, so I'm just not going to do it. No, you will get a cavity later if you don't, just trust me. No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I just want to go to sleep. So, because we don't understand how cavities work whenever we're four or five years old, it's difficult for us to listen. And so the excuse for us while we're children is ignorance. We don't know better. But for Peter, he's an adult. So we kind of go through this progression as we grow up. And we come to adulthood. But for some reason, even though ignorance isn't a part of the equation, we still struggle. And the reason is the exact opposite. Instead of ignorance, we're too smart. We know better. I'm an adult. I'm a fisherman. I know how to fish. Don't tell me what to do. Okay? God comes and tells me, love your enemies. He who strikes you on the one cheek, turn the other. Now, I know better than that. I'm an adult. I know what turning the other cheek gets you. It gets you laughed at, and people step all over you. No thanks. I know better. I'm an adult. 
And that becomes our struggle as we grow up. Father Matthew the poor says, never rely on your own wisdom or might or on human strength in any of your works. Otherwise, your mind will become dim and your insight blurred, thus blocking the way for grace to enter you and show you the way. And he references Isaiah 5.21, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Peter totally disregarded his opinion in this case. And what was the result? The result was a catch of fish that he couldn't even pull out of the water. This is tough because our opinion becomes the hurdle. Our knowledge, our preference, our own will becomes the hurdle that we have to pass through in order to submit and obey the commands of God or to obey the instruction of our fathers of confession. So long as we're holding on to our own ego, our own will, our own opinion, we will never submit to that of God's. It's absolutely impossible. This would never have happened if that word nevertheless never entered into Peter's response. It would never have happened if he didn't say, forget my, my preference, forget my will. The very first person that comes to mind when I think of this virtue of obedience and surrender, truly submitting to the will of God, is St. John the Short. All of you know this story. I'm going to brush right through it. We know that his elder, Abba Pambo, tells him, take this dry, withered, lifeless branch, go plant it in the desert 12 kilometers away, and water it twice a day. Now, if you have any sort of common sense, you're going to say, no thanks. I'd rather not waste my, my time. I have better things to do. But for St. John, he says, it doesn't make sense. Nevertheless, at your word, I will plant the branch. <laughs> and so he takes this dead branch, plants it in the desert, waters it every day, and we all know this wouldn't have been an easy thing to do. We all know that it's difficult for us to submit to a command like this once or twice. But for St. John, it wasn't once or twice. It wasn't just a day or two. It wasn't a month or two. It wasn't a year or two. For three years, three years, every day, he's walking in obedience. He's walking in submission. Where was his own will at this time? Where was his own preference? Where was his own ego? Where was his own wisdom? St. John Climacus says, Obedience is the burial of the will and the resurrection of humility. You want to know where his will was? Buried. Nowhere to be seen. It was totally buried. If we want to walk this path that the disciples walked, that people like St. John the Short walked, our own will has to be buried. And unless that happens, we will never submit to that path of obedience. 
And this is all God desires. Trust me, he didn't go searching for the wisest disciples. He didn't go searching for the strongest. He wanted the compliant, the obedient. Foolish fishermen. Men who are willing to bury their will. This is God's desire. Another person that comes to mind is Saint Peshoy. All of you know this story where he washes the feet of Christ. And you know that after your guests come and you wash their feet at that time, you, you have this little basin where the water collects after you wash the feet of your guests. And so Saint Peshoy took this water after he had this visit from his savior. He goes to his brothers, the other monks in the monastery, he says, take from this water and drink from it. <laughs> of course, they just laugh. Like, are you crazy? We know where this water has been. Like, we know the people that come visit, what their feet looks like and what, and what this water looks like. No thanks. He says, trust me, just drink from this water. That doesn't make sense. I'd rather not. So, Later, he goes to tell them that this was the water from the washing of Christ's feet. And at this point, they're shocked. They run back, hoping to drink from this water. But at this point, it's too late. The water had disappeared, and they missed that blessing. What would have happened if Peter said, no thanks, we have toiled all night. What if he said, Master, we've toiled all night, period. What if, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net, never came after that first part of the sentence? He would have never experienced this profound experience with Christ. He would have never caught that fish, but it wasn't even just about a reward. It was about experiencing the joys of that relationship with Christ. It was at the moment of his submission and his obedience that he truly experienced the sweetness of life with Christ. It wasn't just about catching a bunch of fish. As a matter of fact, right after they catch all this fish, you would think that they would say, oh, we could be the best fishermen in the world. But what happens? They forsake all and follow him. It's not about the fish. It's not about making money. It's about experiencing him. So often, we're tired of our dry, boring, spiritual life. And all that's needed is obedience and surrender. That's what will lead to that sweetness. That's what will lead to the, the intimacy of experiencing that personal relationship with Christ. St. Peshoi's disciple, his disciples, all the brethren there, didn't believe that drinking this water would be for their advantage. They didn't think it would be for their benefit. So he said, we don't believe this will benefit us at all. We'd rather not drink from it. But had they truly believed in, in the love and care of their father, that he would only instruct them to do that which is for their benefit, they would have said, sure. 
You want nothing but the best for me. I trust you. I'll do whatever you tell me. And so because they lacked that faith, they were incapable of obeying and submitting to his instructions. Brother Matthew the poor says, Know for certain that submission to God and total surrender to, to surrender to his will and divine plan are a free gift of grace. It thus demands, besides prayer and supplication, a trusting faith to receive this gift. It demands, besides prayer and supplication, a trusting faith to receive this gift. If we want to receive, I have to set aside my own will and say, I trust you. I have faith in whatever you're telling me to do. I have this problem. I'm praying. You're telling me to just keep praying. I'm going to keep praying, even though it doesn't make sense. This person keeps frustrating me. They're taking advantage of me. But your command is, is to forgive seven times 70. I'll forgive. Even though it makes no sense. Every time I forgive this person, they go talk behind my back. They're gossiping. They're doing this and that. But I trust that obeying your commandments, submitting to your will to forgive and to follow in your footsteps is for my own benefit. It's for my, it's for my own growth. I want you to think of the father of faith. Abraham, when he was taking his son to the mountain to slay him. This is his only son. He's already gotten rid of Ishmael. He's got nobody left. The only son he's got left. And God tells him, go, slay your only son. Now, not only does he say okay, but he gets up early in the morning. It's not just a matter of faith, but it's faith with a sense of urgency. It's faith with alacrity. It's, it's faith that does not procrastinate. He says, yeah, I got to do this. It's going to be for my, for my benefits, for my advantage. Because he's asked me to do it. No matter how outlandish it sounds, it comes from the word of God. It comes from the mouth of the one who died for me. So whatever proceeds out of his mouth, it's for my benefit. Even the hardest commandments. Even the commandments that make the least amount of sense. is for my benefit. What part of this commandment made any sense for Abraham? It was by his seed that he was promised he would have a multitude of nations. I'm telling you, if Abraham was trying to wrap his mind around this commandment, he would have never done it. He said, okay, hang on, let me make sense of this first, and then I can do it. Give me a minute, like let me just sit alone and think about it. Once it makes sense, I'm all yours. I'll do whatever you want. Let me just make sense of it first. What would have happened? Think about what was going through his mind as he was walking up this mountain. What was he thinking? What part of his mind was saying, this is a great idea. <laughs> Killing my son sounds great. Halfway through, 
He stops, tells his servants, wait here. Isaac and I will go to worship. And we will return. He tells them, we're going to return. Now, let's just imagine the servants had a sneak peek into Abraham's mind. And they knew what he was up to. What would be the first thing they'd ask him? What do you mean we will return? We know what you're up to. You're going to go kill your son. You're coming back alone, buddy. So, of course, that didn't make sense for him to say, we will return. But because of his faith, he knew there was absolutely no way God would break his promises. And that faith was the fuel for his obedience and submission. So i got to ask myself, what is lacking in my faith that's preventing me from completely submitting to him? What's lacking in my faith? That I can't just come to him and say, sure, God, I'll do it. I trust you. His servants would ask, well, how are you going to return? Like, you're going to go slay your son? Like, I don't know how. I can't make sense of it, but he said he'll take care of it. He said he's coming back. He said he's going to live. And from him, I will have a multitude of nations. I can't tell you how I'm going to come back with Isaac, but I know on my life, I'm coming back with him. And trust me, it doesn't require the same faith that Abraham had. Now, I hope and pray we have that sort of faith, but trust me, all he asks of us is what? A mustard seed of faith. I imagine that Peter's response, when Christ tells him, go into the deep and cast your net, it wasn't an excited response like, let's do it. We've toiled all night and we already watched it. That sounds great. Let's just go. He says, we toiled all night. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my net. It's almost a little like that. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Why not? Why do I have to lose? I'm just going to have to wash my nets all over again if it doesn't work. Just a little mustard seed of faith. Just take that little step. Why do I have to lose? Maybe I'll just forgive this once and I'll test God. Maybe I'll, I'll just give out of my own limitations. Just like the, the, the widow with the two mites just gave trusting in God. Now, she gave all she had because of her faith. But if I'm incapable of giving the two mites that I have, well, just give one. Just give one. Start with the small things. I'm sure Peter said, throwing his arms up, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And that was enough. That was enough. Trust me, the mustard seed of faith is enough to set your path on fire. To consume your heart with his love. And we know how the story ends. They couldn't even pull the net out of the water. They had to call other boats and come, help us pull this out. Our boats are breaking. I pray that we have the spirit of faith to submit to him and to truly obey as 
the disciples did it, all the saints did, that the Lord may be glorified, and to whom is the glory forever and ever. Amen.